This is Jim Fleming. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to find out more about Stuart Heights or more about our class, or if you'd like to leave us some feedback, you can do so at teachings.jim314.com. Enjoy the lesson. Well, good morning, everybody. Welcome to December. So uh, I'm excited about this series this morning. It's a, it's a more expanded, I think, better version of something I did about seven years ago. And I was joking with somebody that it, it feels like it might be mildly appropriate to do the Jewish calendar every seven years. I think there's a, there's a joke in there somewhere, so I'll leave that alone. <clears throat> Should give you some ideas to level of the humor level in the jokes today. So. But uh, I don't know about you guys, but the holiday season at our house is really busy. There's a lot of stuff going on. Uh, there's the normal stuff, and then there's the holiday events, and then there's the Christmas parties, and the additional expectations, and the travel, and the meals, and the family, and it just gets really, really busy. Uh, so I thought this might be a good opportunity for us to look at what did the calendar look like in Bible times, and maybe even see how Jesus fit into that and fulfilled some of that and possibly see how Jesus could fulfill and fit into where we are today. So uh, today we're going to look at the Jewish calendar. Uh, Next week we'll look at the holidays, and then uh, the last week we'll look at how the Messiah fits into all these different things. So I need a little bit of help to get started. Jules, do we have a marker back there? We do? Cool. Um, One of the things that that struck me as I was going through this series uh, is... The different way that we think, thank you very much, the different way that we think about, um, Josh, can you help me for a second? Dave? Um, the different way that we think about time. And in the West, uh, in Western Christian culture, thank you guys, appreciate that, uh, we think about time is, is very straight line. So when, when we talk about calendars, our calendars look like this, right? Right? It's very straight lines, it's very hard edges, it's very clean and very organized looking. Well, when I started studying this several years ago, um, and then last several weeks to kind of refresh, what I found is that the Jewish version of time is far more cyclical. So they would not say that uh, it is very organized like this. They would say it is very organized like this. You've got December and January and February, March, April, May. June, July, August, September, October, November, December. And it is very much a connected series of events. It is not a one stops and you turn the page. It is a never-ending cycle and series. And, and the more I thought about this, the more I liked this view of things because I don't know about you, but I wake up some days and go, okay, <clears throat> we're going to do it again. The exact same thing, we're going to do it again. And... In a week, we're going to do this same thing again. And next year, we're going to do this same thing again. And sometimes I find myself resenting that repetitive nature of things. And I, I think there's a problem with that view. I, I, think, I think there's a way, if we, if we put a Jewish mindset on, that as we go through the year, we stop and we intentionally look back and are reminded about what God has done at those points of the year all throughout human history. And it's a, it's a way to experience now with a lens to the past without 
ripping off a page and throwing it away. There's always something coming up next, and everything is connected. Um, one of the authors that I read talked about the Jewish calendar being like a helix, a rising helix. It is circular, and it, it is connected, but it is always coming back to the same things, coming back to the same things. So I wanted to, to put this image in your mind before we kind of began today, that that while we like to look at things in very straight, clean lines, the Jewish perspective is much more of a circular, recurring uh, theme to things. So thank you, guys. You the that world does that. Yes. Well, that's how you, you that's, that's how you teach, too, right. right, is you come back to things, and, and you come back, and you come back, and you come back, and you get mastery that way. So all right. So just a couple things. So as we go through this, the calendar, I wanted to start off with the smaller components of time and build up to the larger components of time. So I'm consciously going to skip the second, the minute, and the hour. The hour gets really complicated. If we've got a couple minutes at the end, uh, remind me and I'll come back and explain the hour at the end of the lesson today. But uh, we'll start with the day and then we'll look at the week and the month and the seasons and the years and see how these things kind of fit together. So. So if we want to look at the day first, open your Bibles up to Genesis 1. One of the interesting things uh, about Genesis 1, it, it may be my favorite chapter in the Bible. I don't know. It, it's, John 1 is a, a special place in my heart because that's where I learned to read. Uh, but Genesis 1 is really the start of everything. Uh, and it's not just the start of creation. It's the start of a subject that I love, mathematics. Because God counted in Genesis 1, and he kicked off the branch of mathematics. God spoke in Genesis 1, and he kicked off language. He established in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, there was time. So we, now we have a chronology, which is part of science. He invested himself in the universe, so there is astronomy. And he created the earth, so there is geology. He created all these subjects that we study in Genesis 1. Uh, and in Genesis 1, verse 5, he goes through and... Uh, actually, you know what? I want to. Can, can somebody start with verse one? Because I was reading this in the car this morning, um, and it, it just it struck me as more powerful because we, we skip over these things sometimes. So, start with Genesis one one and just read down through. You got it, Tim? Yep. All right. I'm going to stop you at some point. So, okay. imagine that, right? <laughs> yeah. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep. And the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. Stop. We rush past that sometimes. Mm-hmm. Like, he said, let there be light. And then there was light. It, there's this thing that had never existed before. And how is it? I don't, I don't get it. I think it's amazing. I think it's absolutely amazing. So I was getting to verse 5 in my notes this morning, reviewing things, and I stopped at verse 4, and it was just, okay, that's pretty cool. So keep going for me. God saw that the light was good, and God separated the light from the darkness. God called the light day, and the darkness he called night. And there was evening, and there was morning, one day. One day. So how does God define the day? An evening? And then a morning, and that's your first two blanks. That's how he defines the day. And we see it from the very first chapter of Genesis. Things start off dark, and they get better from there. And this theme is all throughout the Scripture. In the Old Testament, we have the shadow 
of the things that are going to come. And in the New Testament, what do we have? We have the substance. We have the fleshing out. We have the incarnation of Jesus Christ where He shows up and shows us what the Messiah is really like. And what do we have when we continue that timeline? The brightness and the light of heaven at the end of all things, which is really just a continuation of all things. So things get better. Things get lighter. So the Jewish day begins at the start of evening or sundown. And it ends at the end of the next day at sundown. <clears throat> so it, it begins with a celestial event. So the sun goes down, and that's when the Jewish day begins. And the sun goes down again, and that's when the Jewish day begins. And our day is actually based on a celestial event. So noon is what? The sun is highest in the sky, right? Well, 12 hours before that is where we start today. So our day is also based on a celestial event, just a different spot. It's not the end of the day, it's the direct middle of the day from us, from a Western perspective. So the thing that I want you to remember about the Jewish day is that it starts before the Gregorian day. Now, you guys have heard this term Gregorian calendar before. This is the one with the, the boxes over here. So Pope Gregory XIII, back in the 1500s, uh, fixed the math of the calendar. And the problem that the calendar had up to that point is that it was... It was too long of a day, and they were losing, they, they were losing days. It wasn't, it wasn't good. Because you may or may not know this, but it doesn't take exactly 365 days for the earth to go around the sun. It's a little bit different than that, which is why we have what? Leap, year. leap years. Exactly. Now, leap years, I would, I would venture to say that there's probably not a lot of people that are really familiar with what Pope Gregory did. Because it's really specific. Because up to that point, we had leap years. Every four years, we had a leap year. There's no problem. This keeps the calendar from getting off one day every four years. But it's, it's actually, a day is not 365.25 days. A day is 365.2425 days, which is a little bit different. Which means you need a little bit less, leak, leak, a little bit fewer leap years than one every four years. So what they decided... An easy way to keep up with it is if the year ended in, if it was divisible by 100, the year is divisible by 100, say 1900, that they would not have a leap year, except if it was divisible by 400. So the year 2000, we had a leap year. 2100, we won't. 2200, we won't. 2300, we won't. 2400, we will. And that keeps the calendar very, very precise. That keeps the seasons and the calendar all synced up. And if you don't have that 100-year that modification, that every 400-year modification, the calendar gets off. And Gregory, Pope Gregory, back in the 1500s, is the one that said, we're snapping a line, we're fixing it right now. And when he did it, they adjusted the calendar by 10 days. So there are actually 10 days in the last 2,000 years that don't exist on a calendar because they skipped them. And it, it caused all kinds of grief. But it fixed things mathematically so that everything stays in sync, which is why we call our calendar the Gregorian calendar. So that's your little bit of history lesson. So the, the leap year thing is really important because when we get to the way the Jews keep up with it, it's going to really mess with your head. And you're going to think that it's really odd, but I wanted to tell you how odd our calendar was before we talk about how odd their calendar is. So away we go. So let's look at the week next. 
So that's the day. This is the week. So the week is also shows up uh, early in Genesis. So Genesis uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 3. So who's got that? Matt, you got it? Awesome. Thus the heavens and earth were completed, and all their hosts by the seventh day God completed his work which he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had done. Then God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because in it he rested from all his work which God had created and made. This is the account of the heavens and earth when they were created in the day that the Lord God made earth and heaven. Awesome. So how many days did God work? Six. How many days did God work? Six. Six. And he rested on the seventh. Excellent. Now, once you go back to Genesis 1-5, what did God name the first day? What was the term that he used for the first day? Like, what does your Bible say? First day, right? Okay. What, did he, what, did he, what was his name for the second day? Second day. What was his name for the third day? Third day. third day, right. You know what the Jews call those days of the week? <clears throat> First day, second day, third day, fourth day, fifth day, sixth day, seventh day. That's their names for the days of the week. You know why? That's what God called them. Which I think is a shockingly simple way to view the world. Let's just use what God used and stop with that, right? I, I, when this hit me a couple years ago, I was like, that's really genius. Just, that's cool, Right? Now, God names all kinds of stuff in the first chapter, right? He calls the light, light. He calls the dark, dark. He calls it evening, and he calls it morning. And he gives us names and words for things, so we don't just stand around and go, ugh. I mean, that, that'd be awful, right? But the Jews, if, if you look at the little table there on the front side of your handout, it says uh, Yom Rishon, which is first day. Yom is day here. Rishon is first. Uh, Shanae is second. Uh, Shlisi is third. Uh, that one, the fourth one is ridiculously difficult to pronounce, so it's, I'll let you Google that. But, but really, it's just, it literally is day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, very straightforward. That's the names of the days of the week. Now, when does the, the Hebrew week begin? It's got to begin on sundown, right? On, for us, it's Saturday. They would say it begins on Sunday. Because for them, the definition of Sunday is our definition of Saturday at sundown. So it depends on who you ask. You can get a different answer to that question. All right, so, so is, the, is the week tied to any celestial event? So is it a sun thing or a moon thing or a what thing? It's a seven thing. It's a rest thing is what it is. Here's your blank. It is tied to God's example to us of rest after work. As far as we can tell, there's really not a thing that the sun does or that the moon does or that the earth does every seven days. It just, that's when God decided to rest for us as an example. And, and it was very good. So there we are. Some of this is not really complicated. Some of it's interesting, but it's, I think it's good to understand. All right, so we looked at the day, the week. Let's look at the month. We're getting bigger in the time periods here. All right. The, the most common Hebrew word for month is uh, chodesh. And you kind of have to, you don't stand really close to somebody when you say chodesh, because you, you may be something else that comes. Um, but it literally means new moon. Here's your next blank. Uh, new moon or month. And the easy example of this is in Exodus 12. Exodus 12. So in Exodus 12, what has happened? 
give you a hint, the name of the book. They are exiting stage left, right? They're, they're getting out of Egypt. Sorry. Is it left in the map? It is? That's awesome. Is it or no? It's, it's, it's really more like... Yeah, 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 that's right. Okay. Oh, well. It was a good attempt. It was a good attempt. And uh, so they're exiting Egypt, and God gives uh, the leadership some direction as to what next. Because what next is a really important question, because they had not been on their own for how long? 400 years. Right? They have not been an independently functioning nation for 400 years. They might need some direction. They might need some direction on some things as basic as, when do we have a year? <laughs> so God is going to help them with this here in Exodus 12. So in Exodus 12, verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses and Aaron in the land of Egypt, saying, This month shall be your beginning of months. It shall be the first month of the year to you. So he defines that there are things called months in their calendar. Now, um, <clears throat> the, the Jews had an interesting way of figuring out when a new moon occurred. So those of you that are familiar with the phases of the moon, what, what do we call a new moon? What, what does the sky look like when there is a new moon? Heard a lot of murmuring. I, didn't, I don't know. What, somebody feel like they know? Is the Wikipedia quote in there? Or did I delete that out? I had it in there at one point yesterday. Nope. The first visible crescent. As soon as you see the first part of the moon, that's a new moon. Which kind of makes sense because it's a new moon. Right? Um, now, the, in the Old Testament time, they actually had a process for saying, yes, we agree this is a new moon. You had to get two independent, reliable observers both coming to uh, the priest and saying, I have seen a new moon. And when the priest heard from two independent, reliable witnesses, the priest would declare a new moon, a Rosh Kodesh, the head of the moon. So we have begun a new moon, which kicked off a whole series of worship and liturgical calendar. So certain things were done on certain days of the month and certain months of the year. We had to know exactly when things occurred. So it wasn't actually even left up to the priest to make this determination. It was left up to somebody else, which... I think it's kind of neat. So he relied on a lot of other people. Now, if you think about the lunar distance, the lunar duration, how long does it take for a new moon to happen? You all know? It's actually a very precise number. 29 and a half, 28, 29 days or so, right? Well, if, if you've got, if you've, I think it's 29 and a half. If you've got 29 and a half days times 12. You know what you don't get? You don't get 365.2425. <laughs> you come up short. But the Jews knew this, and they had a solution for it. And we'll talk about it in just a second when we get to years. So think about how you would fix that. Like, well, what would you do if you needed to have some extra time built into your calendar? But you knew that you had to have months. And the months had to be based on the phases of the moon because God commanded certain things to be done based on the phase of the moon. Hmm, that's interesting. All right, so I'm going to let you soak on that for a second. We're going to go to seasons. So the Hebrew word for season is moed. 
Uh, it's not really defined in the Scripture as a specific time period, but in Genesis 1.14, God explains to us why we have lights in the sky, which I would have thought was pretty basic to see with. And He actually doesn't mention seeing with at all, which I think is an interesting way to use this thing that you've made. So God says what? Let there be lights in the firmament of the, house, of the heavens to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and seasons and for days and years. He said, I'm going to show you things through the lights in the sky and I'm going to help you keep up with where you are through the lights in the sky. which I think is pretty neat. Because God ties all of these different festivals, all of these different celebrations to seasons of the Jewish year. So there's there's one piece of paper on each one of your tables that's got a big kind of yellow and green and blue diagram on it. Y'all see that? So this this is the best version that I could find on the Internet of this cyclical view of the Jewish year. And the idea here is that the Jews don't just divide things up into months. They don't just divide things up into a year. They divide things up into seasons as well. And if you look at a Jewish calendar, you may see different divisions than ours. Because our calendar, if you look at seasons, has what seasons? We have fall and winter and spring and summer. We have four seasons, right? Well, the Jews actually have... A lot of seasons. They, the different, depending on the way you def, uh, slice it up, you could have a cold season, a wet season, a rainy season, a dry season, a hot season, and then you could layer on top of that the spring, summer, fall, and winter. So the the calendar view that you have on your table shows the the dry and the uh, sorry, it just calls the cold and the blue, the dry and the yellow, and then the rain and the green. And this is what the weather typically looks like in Israel in those months of the year. Which, okay, that makes sense. So, there we go. So, I want you to think about seasons. Here's your next blank. Think about seasons as placeholders. Think about seasons as placeholders. Because they are going to hold something that God is telling that is part of a bigger story. And He tells us this in Genesis 1.14. These are for signs and for seasons, for days and for years that I am telling you a bigger story and watch the sky to understand what's going on. And I love that because what is this foreshadowing? This is foreshadowing the birth of Jesus Christ, right? God starts talking about Christmas in Genesis 1. It's like, what in the world? You know why? Because everything changes at the Incarnation. Everything radically changes. It's going to be the biggest event in human history, so why not start talking about it from the very beginning? So he does. So he does. So I I, I was studying a lot of things getting ready for this lesson, uh, and this thought kind of came to me. And it, it didn't really connect anywhere else in the lesson, so I put it here. But if you hadn't figured it out yet, time is God's idea. He defined it, and he uses it. It's his idea. So so there's that. All right, page five. Let's look at the year. I'm on page five of my notes. So the Hebrew word for year is uh, Shana, 
which is kind of like you're saying Shanna, but really slowly and with a bad accent, so Shana. Uh, and it's not defined as 12 months long in the Bible, but in Genesis 1.14, we're told to look at the heavens for days and for years. Now, I told you before that the Jews had a solution to this lunar problem of theirs. And if you look at the number of months that they have on that grid on the back side of your handout, how many months are listed there? 13. But if you look at month number 12, what's in the parentheses next to month number 12? It's a leap month. Well, there's a neat idea. <clears throat> so the Jews were very, very good mathematicians, extraordinarily good mathematicians. And they had it figured out that every 19 years, you needed seven leap months. Hmm. You need seven. That's interesting. I wonder who designed that particular arrangement. Every 19 years, you needed seven leap months. So they decided that on the third, sixth, Tenth—I forget the numbers—but it's all—it is all written down <laughs> very well. These are the years in which you would have a leap month. So some months would have twelve months, some months would have thirteen months. Now, I told you before that the the calendar is based on the lunar moon cycles, right? So it's also based on the solar cycles because these festivals need to occur at specific harvest and planting times of the year. So if it's just based on lunar, then it's going to get off. But if it's just based on solar, then we can't obey God's command to celebrate on a new moon. So what they use is called a lunisolar calendar. And I think that word is in your handout somewhere, the lunisolar calendar. And what this does is it takes the command that God gave and syncs it up with the seasons that occur naturally on the earth and makes the math all work, which is kind of cool. So there's really, if you think about this as a, as a system of equations to solve, this is about the only way that you can solve obeying all the commands that God gave and not making uh, December be 95 degrees because that would be weird. Right? So this is what they came up with. Now, when you read through the Bible, so here's your blank. I don't know if I gave you your blank. To fix this, the Jews used a lunar solar calendar with a leap month. With a leap month. <clears throat> and there's several different uh, world religions that use lunar solar calendars because of their connection to creation. So Hinduism, Buddhism, they use lunar solar calendars as well. Um, we're actually one of the few, the, the Gregorian calendar is not based on Lunar, it's based on just solar. So we're one of the few calendars that don't use a lunisolar calendar. So we are actually the oddities here. Ours just happens to be uh, used worldwide because we have more guns than anybody else does. So that's the way that works. I'm not making some statement about guns here. I'm just saying that's the, it is what it is. All right. I've gone and got myself in trouble, haven't I? All right, so I want you to look at the, I want you to look at the, the grid that's the, the 13 months that are listed there. So you see the modern name is listed, and then I put the name that is they show up in the New King James. So when you see Nisan, that's how it's pronounced. <clears throat> when you see Nisan in the Bible, you should know that that occurred somewhere in the March to April time frame. Okay? And when you see Elul, 
That's August and September. So when Nehemiah talks about doing something specific relative to the building, this is in August and September. And when you see uh, Esther having conversations with the king in Esther 2, that was in December and January. So we have an idea of what was going on in the world. So when a Jew reads the Old Testament and sees these months, they know, well, yeah. When we read the Old Testament, we're lazy and we go, yeah, it's, yeah, okay. Right? I mean, I, okay, that's, I got my hand raised. I've guilty this quite often. So, so I wanted to create something that would be a, oh, so this is when this happens. Now, you, you got to remember, though, this is not a clean one-to-one correlation between the Jewish month and the Gregorian month because the number of days is different. So I'm not going to get into all that. But um, Now, here's something really interesting. The really interesting piece is that if you combine this leap month with the solar year to come up with this particular lunar-solar calendar, the Jewish calendar is going to be off by one day every 224 years. Now, here's the really neat thing. The Jews that came up with this knew that. They knew it was going to be off one day every 224 years, but they weren't worried about it because they wrote in their descriptions of this, the Messiah will come back before this is a problem. Now, you want to talk about faith in your God. I'm going, to, I'm going to build my calendar with an error, and I'm not worried about it because God's going to fix it before it's a big deal. Now, I thought that was pretty neat. Now, the mathematician in me is like, yeah, but couldn't they have done like one more day? Yeah, that, it becomes too complicated. It's complicated enough as it is, but that's where it is. All right, now, at the very top of your handout where I put today's date, where it says Sunday, December 6, 2015. So I want to talk about what is today's date to a Jew? Well, it is Yom Rishon, 24th of Kislev, 5776. You go, all right, well, I get that Yom Rishon, that's what? What did we say Yom Rishon was? First day of the week. First day of the week, right? First day. And the 24th, so it's the 24th day of the month of Kislev. So we look at Kislev and, yep, November, December, that makes sense. Okay, great. But 5776, like what, what's that about? Well, so put your thinking cap on here for a second. Would the Jewish calendar use the birth of Jesus Christ as the start of the counting cycle? No, they would not. What would they use as the start of the counting cycle? Go back further. Go back. Yes, now we're there. Genesis 1. Genesis 1. Now, for those of you that have done some math relative to Genesis 1, you know that there's actually more years than that. It's closer to 6,000 than 5776. But they've been using this so long, they ain't changing. (laughs) So it is what it is. So the, the Jewish calendar year begins approximately one year prior to creation. That's what the 5776 stands for. About one year prior to creation. <coughs> All right. So now before you begin to think that the Jewish calendar is a hot mess, um, the Gregorian calendar has some problems too. Right? So how many days do we have in our Gregorian calendar? 365. Every year? No. Nope. We have some years with 366, right? Um, and, and it occurs every fourth year except if the year's 
divisible by 100, but not 400. So that, this is a little math for you, right? And how many months do we have in our year? To every year? Yes. Okay, so that's standard, right? That's a little more standard. And how many days are in each month? Yeah, you like, I love that answer. Uh, yeah, okay, right, whatever. You got me there, right? 28, 29, 30, 31, right? We, we vary. Um, what I didn't show you, on, I ran out of space on the page, but the, the Hebrew months range from 29 to 30 days. Some of them have 29, some of them have 30. Some of them ha can have 29 this year and 30 next year. So it, it, there's a lot of variations. The, the Hebrew year can actually have 353, 354, 355, 383, 384, or 385 days. Yeah, right? <laughs> Think about computer programming in that space. That's, I, there's a lot of ifs in that. That's what that is. Um, what yes? Do, what do they do with people that are born on one of these weird days? That, uh, I mean, they celebrate the day before? Oh, on a, on a leap year? Uh, or a leap month? A leap month. Um, I don't know. I didn't read anything about celebrations on a leap month. So the name of the leap month is, the, is sort of the same as the name of the... It's, it's Adar 1 and Adar 2. So my guess is you would just celebrate it on whatever day the Adar 1 or Adar 2 happened on if you were born in Adar 1, the leap month. That's what I would do, but I'm not a Jew, so I don't know. That's a good question to... Um, well, birthdays would be important from a uh, bat mitzvah and uh, bar mitzvah perspective, so the, the uh, escalation into manhood and womanhood. Um, so they would need to keep track of it at least until the woman was, until the girl was 12 and the guy was 13. Did I get that backward? No. I didn't? Okay, okay. I get it backward half the time, so. Um, so I think they would need to know it then, but I don't know about any celebrations of birthdays after that. We do know that Jesus was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. Well, you know, I bet they do have to celebrate birthdays because you couldn't be a rabbi until you were 30. So they would have to keep track of the time at that point. I don't know, it's a good question. You're watching my thought process unfold here. So this is me studying is like ADHD gone berserk. It's really kind of weird. Julie likes to laugh at me sometimes because I sit on the couch and have these wonderful conversations with myself. She's like, have you got it figured out yet? I'm like, almost. It's great. It's good stuff. Um, all right, so, so the point I wanted to make through this is our calendar is really not that normal after all. We have plenty of little oddities in ours. Um, so I do want to go back. I think I've got time to do this real quick. So we'll talk about the hour for just a second. So how long is the Jewish day? Very good. The day is based on what? Sundown to sundown. And sundown to sundown is different depending upon two different things. Depending upon the season you're in and the position on the earth that you're in. Right. This gets extraordinarily complicated. This is why when you, when you order a Jewish calendar, before you order a Jewish calendar, they will ask you what the coordinates are because they want to be able to be accurately tell you when sundown is and when sunrise is so that you can divide up the day into 12 equal hours. Hours in the Jewish calendar are not 60 minutes long. They are one twelfth of the light period or one-twelfth of the dark period. You could have an hour that's an hour and 15 minutes long for us. Yes, Dave? What if you're a Jew in Alaska? 
<laughs> I asked that question and got shot down rather um, rudely on a forum that I was participating in. So. <laughs> um, the, what happens if you're a Jew in Alaska where you may not see the sun for a certain number of days? Or you may not see the night for, there may not be a sunset. Get out of there because that ain't right. <laughs> God did not intend for them to live at the North Pole. He gave them Israel for a reason, right? There you go. That, that might be the easiest answer. I don't know. That might be the easiest answer. Yes, you would age very slowly. Or very quickly. I guess it would catch up, right? This, you, you, you'd, it, your aging process would look like this, right? That's awesome. All right, so let's, let's wrap this. Go ahead and wrap this up then. So what's the point? Well, number one, the Jewish calendar is not our Gregorian calendar. They are not the same thing. I think that's pretty obvious, right? We, we're, we are radically different here in the way we approach things. So what do I do with that? Number one, learn the Jewish calendar. You know, strive to have at least a basic Bible understanding of what's going on. So when we read the Scripture, we understand the history and the culture and the life that's going on here in the Bible. Um, sometimes I hear people say, well, that's just complicated. I don't want to learn anything about that. I'm all right. Let's not be prideful in our ignorance. You know, dig in and learn. It's okay. Uh, application number two, God is a God of order. God is a God of order. He planned this out. He knew these things. He started talking about Christmas in Genesis 1. It's good stuff. Um, So what do I do with that? Well, I want to practically examine my season. Uh, and here's what I mean with this. Uh, God put the right amount of stuff in every single season of the calendar. He didn't pack out one part to where it was unbearable. So maybe we ought to do the same with our lives. Maybe we ought to look periodically at our lives and make sure that I haven't packed too much into this particular season of my life. Um, Generally in my life, I'll talk personally for a second, I have these conversations with myself and with Julie in December because December is crazy. There's just so much stuff going on. So this is kind of where I'm at. And then what's the point number three? The rhythm of life is recurring and not linear. So number three, pay attention to history. Um, all of creation is screaming out God exists and he's trying to communicate with us. So we should pay attention to it. So that's the Jewish calendar, and we're going to use that as our launching pad for next week into the holidays. We'll see how the holidays fit into the calendar and how it all works. And then the following week, we're going to look at how the Messiah makes all of this make sense. Sound good? Amen. Cool. Awesome. So that's the lesson for today. Thanks for coming. And uh, in the middle of your tables is the prayer request sheet. And Darla's got something you want to share? I forgot, Darla. Okay. Yes. I blew right past it, didn't that's I? Okay. I'm sorry. I, I'm in charge of making sure the prayer requests stay updated. So if y'all could look over this today, if you have anything that's on the ongoing that needs to be updated or tweaked, please like, make a note of it on here. And this week I was thinking about our uh, prayer request sheet here, and I thought of a couple of different things to try to encourage us to pray for each other. Um, for some odd, well, no, not for some odd reason. That's a stupid statement. I was driving down the road, and I thought of this verse um, out of Galatians, Galatians 6, 2, where it says, Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. This sheet represents a lot of people's burdens in this class. Um, and if you use this sheet like you're supposed to and pray for these people, there's... There's going to be some things on here that are going to really burden you. They're going to be a passion for you because you've either been through it 
or you're going through it, or you identify with it in some way. And I would just encourage you, as Jim says to us a lot of times, to lean in. This is really a good way to lean in. I've learned, um, I'm an introvert, so as Jim would say, don't come to my house. Do not come to my house. Don't. I've done this before. Don't do it. You're not welcome. But. You won't be. It's really awesome. You won't be welcome at all. Doug will take you down to the basement, and we will have all kinds of fun in the basement, but Darla will not. She will kick you out of the kitchen. So. Um, just, this is really a good way for, I've learned for me to connect with people, yep. is to work this list. And I carry this in my truck, and I just realized this morning on the way in that you guys, there's a lot of people on here in here that are not on Facebook where we publish this list. So I thought maybe if we could get a, a few extra copies every now and then that you could take with you. Absolutely. Put this in your vehicle. Put it in your Bible. Pray for people. And if you pray enough over this list, it'll start. It'll get to you. I mean, in a good way. Um, you'll get burdened for people. And then the third thing that I would like for you to do is if you pray for somebody, tell them that you pray for them. That is really essential. Um, I have been in periods of my life where I was, I'm pretty sure no one ever prayed for me. So if you pray for somebody, tell them that you pray for them because that really means a lot. Um, it's the least that you can do to carry another person's burden. So it's very, very important. You'll get, a, you'll get a burden for something on this list, I promise you. And if you pray over it enough, Things will start to come up, you know, like right now. We've got some ladies in our class that have gone from us to go to college. I have a real burden for those. I pray for them. I let them know. Um, we have a lot of grandparents and elderly family members and parents that we're lifting up um, in that season of life. And that's difficult for people that care for them. There's just all different things that can really grab you. Thank you, Ms. Darla. So thank you to Darla for her faithfulness in this area because um, <clears throat> she sends me an email each week and I put that on the sheet and print it off and everybody does what they do best and she handles this uh, and does it well. So the reason many of us have been prayed for so regularly is because of her faithfulness. So if you get a chance today, say thank you to Ms. Darla too. So lean in, engage with your table, uh, pray as a group, make sure you update those prayer requests and thanks for coming to Sunday School.